Kiora, and welcome to Walking the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the shadowy realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your hosts. I'm Marianne. Thanks so much for joining us today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. Sit back, relax, and let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and see what awaits us there. Hi everyone, today's episode's a wee bit different to normal, more like a follow-on from the Signs from the Other Side episode I did about a month ago. I read a post in a group that I occasionally visit online that immediately leapt out at me and really touched me, and I right away thought that in these times of uncertainty, also knowing that many of my listeners have lost loved ones to this plague that the world is dealing with, and the likelihood is that before this is all over, many of us will have lost a loved one, a work colleague, a friend or an acquaintance to this virus. Because of this, I felt my guests' touching and very loving experiences might bring comfort to some of you who are grieving at this point in time, and it may help you to know that our loved ones live on, albeit without a physical body. To anyone in this situation at this moment in time, this episode is for you all. Let's walk together into this part of the Shadowlands and see what awaits us there. My guest today is Deb, a 47-year-old mother of five from Michigan in the United States. Her oldest child is 28 and her youngest is 8 years old. Debs is a nurse and has always worked in this field, an area she naturally gravitated to out of a desire to help and heal others. A very social person, Debs found nursing a perfect outlet for her personality and her desires to help others. She also does a lot of volunteer work and paints rocks as a hobby in her downtime. What she does with the rocks she paints is that she takes them out into her community and leaves them in places around her local dam for the children to find a really cute idea. These days, Debs has great interest in paranormal things, in part as a result of her own paranormal experiences, some of which are the subject of today's episode. Please be aware, parts of this conversation are very raw, and in some parts, Debs' pain is very obvious. I've not edited anything in this conversation, as that would be doing her and Tyler both an injustice in my opinion. I know several times in our conversation I found myself crying along with Deb, so this conversation is raw and unedited, sniffs, clearing throats, ums and all, which is not normally how I leave them, but I really felt this is how this episode needed to be kept.
I had met the love of my life, um, Tyler Williams, his name was, and um, it was an immediate attraction and we just fell head over heels in love with each other. I've never in my life felt that immensely in love with somebody. Like I felt drunk with love. I've never felt that before in my life. We had such a an unbreakable bond. He could read my mind. I knew what he was thinking. We'd finish each other's sentences within a very small period of time that we were together. So we knew after maybe six months that we wanted to get married. Um, so we flew to, we didn't do a big wedding. Neither one of us had been married before. We didn't want to do a big wedding. So we actually eloped and flew to um, Hawaii to get married on the beach at sunset. And it was perfect and it was beautiful. And oh my gosh, can you imagine the flowers and the aroma and just the love in the air? It was just perfect. So we had this gorgeous, absolutely perfect wedding. So we were together for um, not a very long time. Like I feel cheated because I didn't get to be with him for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, because he was taken way, way too soon from me. But um, so... With our love, we created this beautiful child named Blake Tyler Williams, and he was born in 1998, Blake was. And he, oh gosh, he was just a beautiful, beautiful child. He looks exactly like his father. Um, he even sounds like him, too, now that he's a grown man. Um, and Tyler loved our son so much. I mean, just with all of his heart. So one day in um, 2004, our son Blake was having a um, concert at his little school, like a play they were doing, and his father had gone over to a friend of his house to look at this new motorcycle or crotch rocket, they, they call them, because they go super fast. He went over there to look at his buddy's new motorcycle he just got, well, but not unbeknownst to his friend, my husband crawled, got on that motorcycle. He, he, thank God, put a helmet on first, but he got on that motorcycle when his friend went into the house to answer a phone call and he took off on it and took it for a test drive. Um, why he did this, none of us know. He wasn't experienced with motorcycles. He'd never been on a motorcycle before. He didn't grow up riding dirt bikes or motorcycles. So none of us know why he chose to jump on this very fast motorcycle this day and take it for a test drive because he certainly had no idea what he was doing with it. Um, my husband was only 27 years old when this happened, so a very relatively young man. And um, so he, what witnesses have told us what happened of what they witnessed of the crash, he was going too fast down a one-way street and... Um, a car pulled onto the street uh, coming at him and he lost control of the motorcycle and started, it started like fishtailing and bobbing from side to side. And he didn't have any way to slow it down because he didn't know what he was doing. And he ended up swerving to miss the car that was coming at him. And he ultimately, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. um, he ultimately hit a parked van that was on the street just parked he hit the van um extremely fast and hard and it ended up breaking his neck 
and it crushed the whole right side of his body. Um, his body went sliding in one direction and the motorcycle went uh, flying in another direction and um, people ran to his aid right away but there was really nothing that they could do because his neck had been broken and it several, severed his spinal cord and so they couldn't they couldn't save him and um the night that that happened me and Blake and the rest of my family had gotten home from Blake's play at school and we're all settling in for the night and I got a phone call 9:14 in the evening to be exact and it was Tyler's mother calling me and she these were the words that she said to me she said Deb Tyler's gone he was in a terrible motorcycle accident tonight and he passed away and at first it didn't register with me it just it was like a a thought bubble that was just kind of hanging in the air because i didn't retain it right away um and then immediately after she said that he had died she said please deb don't take blake away from us and i thought to myself what would make her think that i would take my son away from his grandmother like i was just dumbfounded that she would say that and um and i i asked her where was he like where did they take his body to or where did they take him to work on him and she told me the name of the hospital and that they were all going to head over to the hospital meaning her tyler's mother and his sisters were going to head to the hospital also and i told her i would be there shortly well by the time um, i had found a neighbor to watch my other children and to watch my son blake um, to go to the hospital when i pulled in they were already walking out and said it's no use going in there they won't let you see him he's gone there's nothing that they could do they won't let you in there and so i didn't get to see my husband um, probably a good thing I didn't get to see him because nobody wants images like that, you know, as being the last thing that you saw. Yeah. I was angry at the time because I really did want to go in there and be with him, but they wouldn't let me. So I returned home, woke our son up because he was only five years old. Our little boy was only five years old. And I woke our son up because he was sleeping and I had to break the news to him and hearing my son cry like that broke my heart so badly I could see how badly he was um hurting like he he was in disbelief and he had lots of questions being a little five-year-old of course they have so many questions like what does it mean will I see him again does this mean he's not gonna you know take me to the store anymore does this mean um, I can't hug him anymore, you know, stuff like that. So he had these questions for me and he just hugged me so tight and we just sat there on his bed and cried for hours. I mean, literally hours. And, uh, I didn't sleep at all that night, of course. Um, then it was all the planning for the funeral and going and picking out coffins and you you just feel numb when 
that happens because I was so grief stricken. It's like, who wants to pick out coffins when all you can think about is your dead husband laying not even feet away from you? Yeah. And um, so then, then the funeral come and um, it was an open casket and um, I had to be picked up off the floor when I walked in and saw him laying there um, in the casket. Uh, I just, I felt weak and I needed somebody to help pick me up off the floor. It was really difficult to um, go through that. I'm sorry. So, I mean, I, during this time, I, I like, um, was kind of angry at God, you know, just kind of yelling and screaming at him, like, how could you, how could you take him from me? And, uh, you know, things like that. Yeah. I was kind of really angry and bitter with God. And um, I've now since worked all that out, but um, I was angry for a really long time about that because I feel as though my husband left us. Like I didn't think that I would have to live in this world without him with me and our son. Yeah. Um, so I had to figure out how to live without him <laughs> and it, it was really hard. It's, it's still hard. I mean, I still obviously get emotional from it, talking about it. Um, how could you not, hon? How could you not? And it's been, and it's been 16 years since he passed away. It seems like a long time ago, but I visit his grave quite regularly and I always talk to him out loud. Um, Always. I mean, if somebody saw what I do in my house alone, they'd think I was bonkers um, because I will just think of him and then I just start talking out loud to him as if he's standing in the same room with me. But of course, he's not. Um, but it, it comforts me to do that. So I, I don't mind if people think I'm weird for doing that. Um, it's just my way of coping, you know. You okay, know. so into getting into the... Um, the ghost aspect of this, the paranormal stuff is um, we lived in this very beautiful, like um, late 1800s, early 1900s farmhouse. It was quite large. It had like six bedrooms, really beautiful. It had been completely remodeled on the inside. So it was modern and new and it was in the country. And we had lived in this house for a couple of years before he passed away. So, you know, People are used to the sounds in their house. They know the creaks when somebody walks on the floor, stuff like that. Right. You know yeah. your house surroundings sound like. Well, about, I'm going to say, three to four months after he passed away, things started happening in our house <laughs> big time. Like, they weren't subtle. It was pretty obvious stuff was going on. It just didn't, just didn't add up. Um, it took me only a short time to realize that it was him, but, um, so at first it started out with anytime me or our son Blake and I have, cause I had other children at the time, so it never pertained to them at all. It would only happen to myself or Blake, the son that I have with Tyler. It started off with, um, the lights started blinking and, um, like noticeably, like annoyingly, they started blinking. And I'm like, what in the heck's going on? You know, are my lamps on the fritz? Do I need to buy new lamps? And then that turned into, 
it was happening in the whole house, TV turning on and off by itself, radio turning on and off by itself. Um, and then that escalated into if me or my son Blake would walk into a room, the light bulb would completely burst. I mean, break. Um, and I would have to, I mean, it's very difficult to unscrew a light bulb that's mm. broken. Mm. It is. I thought, oh my gosh, I need to call an electrician or something. Maybe there's something wrong with the wiring in my house. I was worried about like it being a fire hazard, things like that. Because it kept, I was literally changing bulbs daily in my house because they were busting that often. And I thought, gosh, what in the world is going on? So then that happened for about a good month, I want to say. And then that evolved into things started being moved around my house. Um, I could be sitting in a chair watching TV and my remote control would be right next to my arm. And I would look down a few minutes later and it would be gone. I'm like, what the heck? You know, you kind of look all around, look under the chair, you know, you didn't touch it. It's gone only to find it like a couple days later in another room, just bizarre stuff like that. Then think we could, we started to see things physically move on their own. A couple of times we had um, pictures fall off the wall. There would be nothing wrong with the hook. Like the picture frame would physically have to be lifted up off the hook in order to fall to the ground. Nothing ever broke. Like the glass never broke. Um, nothing violent. It was just kind of like it was lifted up off of what it was hanging on and dropped to the ground. Uh, we saw books come off the bookshelf not violently, like it didn't fly across the entire room and hit the wall on the other side, just like a couple feet away from the bookshelf, it would fall down. The most profound things that we saw move were um, one particular day, I come up from our basement and was walking through my kitchen. And I had a very expensive camcorder. Of course, back in 2004, camcorders were pretty expensive. And I used mine quite a bit and it was sitting on a kitchen counter I had. So as I'm walking by it, I glanced over at it. So my eyeballs are looking right at this camcorder. I saw it lift up off the counter and it literally come flying at me. Wow. Well, it's catching it, which I should have done. It freaked me out and I kind of panicked. So I dodged it <laughs> and it ended up falling to the ground. Um, Thank God it didn't break, but I thought, wow, I've never seen anything like that before in my life. And at this point, I'm thinking it, it wasn't Tyler. Like at this point of these um, things happening, it, I didn't make the connection yet that it was him. Right. So then um, another thing that happened was uh, uh, during this time, I cried so much. I didn't think a human body could cry that much and stay hydrated or survive like literally I would lay on the ground during the day when my kids were at school and I would just cry for hours uncontrollably and one of these particular days I happened to be in the shower and um, I had soap in my hair and I was just bawling my eyes out uncontrollably having a complete nervous breakdown wondering how I'm going to pick up the pieces of my shattered life and um move on and so I had soap in my hair I'm trying to wash it out of my hair and all of a sudden I hear this creepy giggle 
for a few seconds. And I almost jumped out of the shower a foot high. I mean, I almost had a heart attack and died because I knew I was at home alone. I did not expect to hear any noises coming from anywhere in my vicinity. And after I scrubbed the soap out of my hair as fast as I possibly could, I looked down and um, this there was this toy in the bathtub that I knew made that noise. Um, it belonged to um, my daughter and she had gotten it in a McDonald's Happy Meal and it happened to be a little Nemo fish. And if you touched its little fin, it would make that same giggling noise. But this toy was a tub toy because it had stopped working like years prior to this event. Um, there were no batteries in it. Um, the thing that made, made it giggle was broken. Um, it hadn't worked in like years. That's why it was a tub toy. So I picked this thing up knowing that that sound came from that little toy and I'm pushing it, pushing the fin, shaking it, nothing's happening. So I quickly got out of the shower and found a screwdriver and completely dismantled this entire toy looking for reasons why it would have made this creepy sounding giggle. I mean, this giggle went on for seconds. It was just the creepiest thing ever. Um, there was no reason or explanation as to why this thing should be giggling at me like that. I actually still have that Nemo toy on a shelf in my bedroom. I kept it because I thought, you know, after I realized that it was Tyler who did it, um, wanting me to know that he was there, um, of course I wanted to keep that as a, as a memento of sorts. Of so it's actually sitting on my shelf in my bedroom, and it has not giggled again to this day. And it's 16 years later, and that toy has not giggled once since that incident. Okay, so um, that happened. And then um, another another day... And this is going to sound kind of terrible, so I'll try and keep it PG because <laughs> it's a bathroom story. Um, uh, one day, and this was during the summer at this point, so Tyler passed away in April. And now this is like June, July, I want to say, after he, or maybe a little bit later in the summer. It was still warm outside, so maybe it was like August, September. Um, and the kids were back at school. And I was, again, home alone during the day. And I had a, a dog that's a boxer. And he was about two years old when this happened. And um, so I went into the bathroom to do my business, okay, if you know what I'm talking about. So I'm sitting there. And you know how animals always want to be by their owners when they're in the bathroom doing their <laughs> yes. business. So here tags along my little dog. And he, he well, he wasn't so little. Um, so he's sitting right at my feet while I'm in the bathroom doing my business, my morning business. The dog is sitting there. My bathroom door is wide open because I'm home alone. Like, why would you close the door if you're home alone? So as I'm sitting there, my dog all of a sudden perks up, stands up, and then all the hair on his back completely raises. And then he starts growling. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. I've had this dog and raised it from a puppy for two years. And I've never heard this dog growl ever, never once in its life have I ever heard this dog growl. So then all of a sudden he started slowly creeping toward the door of the bathroom that was wide open. And I'm like, oh, wow. And then all the all my hairs on my entire body stood on end. And mind you, I'm trapped on the toilet because I haven't done my paperwork <laughs> yet. If you know what I'm talking about. Um, 
<laughs> so I'm kind of um, panicking because here I am sitting in a vulnerable position and my dog is slowly creeping toward the door, growling like I've never heard him growl before. So then he pokes his head around the corner and manages to work his way out into the hallway um, and he's facing my master bedroom. He's facing my master bedroom and the dog just stayed there and I could see his head moving back and forth as if he was looking at something. And then, and I kept my eyes peeled right at the door because I felt as though there was something in there. Like I could feel it, all the hairs right. on my body and everything. It felt like static electricity all through my body. Right. And um, so the dog is growling at my door. And before I know it, I see this giant black shadow cross in front of my doorway in my bedroom okay so mm -hmm. the windows in my bedroom were illuminating into the hallway and something crossed in front of them that was completely like a shadow in the shape of a human being and I almost had a heart attack um, I because there was somebody in my house I mean you see a shadow in the shape of a giant man and the dog is looking at it and growling at it you, I've never done my paperwork on the toilet that fast before in my life. Um, I was trying to pull up my, my drawers um, and running out into the hallway as fast as I possibly could. Um, and when I did step into my bedroom, I, it was cold. Like it felt really cold in there. And there was like this static electricity kind of feeling in the air that I'd never felt in the house before. And of course, there was nobody there. Marianne, there was nobody and it was cold in there despite right. it being very hot outside, like an 80 degrees plus day outside and uh, sunshiny during the day. So it creeped me out so badly that I um, went and investigated the entire rest of my house to see if for sure I was there alone. And yes, I was. And, uh, and still, at this point, I'm not really making the connection, putting two and two together that this is Tyler trying to contact me. Right. Um, I'd never had experiences like this in the house right. before he died. None of this stuff ever happened in the house before he died. So, right. so there was that day. <laughs> that was exciting. And um, that would have been shortly scary. after that, um, me and my children. At the time, I had four children at this time uh, when he died I had four children and uh, I was reading my children a book as I often did at night before they would get ready for bed and we're all sitting in my bedroom on my bed and I'm reading them this book and we hear a knock on the door and because the house was so large um, it took a little while to get to the downstairs and all that stuff. So we heard the doorbell ring and a knock on the door, which was unusual because it was around nine o'clock at night. And I'm like, Hey, can you guys run down there and see who that is? And I was just planning on staying in my room waiting for them to come back. Well, once they got down there, they started hollering at me to come down because it was in fact our neighbor who had a question for me or something. And I was like, Oh, sure. So I saved the page in the book that we had left off on and I reached over and actually placed the book down on my bedside table um, and walked downstairs, proceeded to talk to my neighbor. So then after she left, we turned around to go back up to my bedroom to continue the book and I was the first person back into my bedroom. I sat down on my bed, looked over at my side table 
to grab the book to continue reading it. And to my utter shock and dismay, there was a photograph sitting on top of the book. And it was a photograph of Tyler. And what's crazy about this is the photo that was on top of the book I had just been reading was in a picture frame hanging on my wall. So I immediately spun my head around and looked in the direction that the picture had previously just been two minutes earlier in the frame on the wall. And the picture frame was empty. No glass broke. Frame still on the wall, perfectly like I had left it. But the photograph was out of the picture frame and laying on top of the um, the book. Mm-hmm. And okay, so it hit me like a thunderbolt of lightning. Mm-hmm. And I... Em- then that's when I pieced it together that, oh my God, it's Tyler. It's mm-hmm. Tyler is here. Mm-hmm. And my children were all up in my room at this point, mm-hmm. arranging themselves on my bed. And I just broke down and started bawling uncontrollably. And they didn't know what was going on. And I told them, I'm like, guys, look, uh, you know, look at this picture. It was in this frame. And they were all in um, wonderment about it as well. And, So from that day on, I connected the dots and realized that it was actually him that was trying to tell me he was there with us. Mm -hmm. And I, it still amazes me to this day that they can do stuff like that, that spirit can move things like that um, that quickly. And it just, it's amazing. So um, shortly after that, that I made the connection that it was indeed Tyler, I'm going to say it was maybe just a couple of days later. Um, I was at home alone again because the children were in school and it was broad daylight. It had to have been maybe 11 in the morning, noon, around noon. I just happened to be walking through my downstairs of my house and I was walking into my dining room and I heard like, well, first I sensed a presence. Uh, You know how the feeling, you know, when somebody's standing behind you and you just know somebody's there, but you can't see them. So I got that feeling, and so I turned around, and lo and behold, there is my deceased husband standing there right behind me in complete full-body apparition. Wow. Um, Just as real. Uh, The only thing that was off about it was I could kind of see through him, Mm -hmm. okay? And I knew he was dead, and I was just in complete shock, and the bottom of his feet. Um, I couldn't really see his feet up to like up, up to his ankles. It, right. it was gone. So his body just kind of started at around the ankle area and then up. So I couldn't, so his feet area was kind of invisible and he didn't move. He stayed in the same spot and I immediately started bawling so uncontrollably. And then my first instinct or reaction was to, walk toward him as to embrace him and just start hugging him. And as I did that, he immediately like put his hand out and said, no. But when I mean he said no, his mouth did not move at all. He spoke to me uh, telepathically and I understood what he was saying. Um, He, so he said in a, in a, like a strong voice, stop you can't hug me or I'll disappear. And I didn't know what that meant because I didn't know anything about 
what how ghosts um, manifest or things like that. I found I learned later from reading about it and uh, studying it and things like that. But at the time, I didn't understand. So he didn't stay long. Um, and I said to him, I can't believe you're gone. I asked him why he was there. I'm like, why did you leave us? Which sounds horrible to say to somebody that died. Why did you leave us? No, it's um, not. It's so I regret saying that, but it was just kind of in the moment type of deal. And he apologized. He kept saying he was so sorry for leaving us. He's like, I didn't mean to leave you. He kept saying, I didn't mean to leave you and Blake. I didn't mean to leave you and Blake. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He kept saying he was so sorry, which, you know, sounds really sad. Um, I think his death was a shock to him too. I mean, he died so suddenly and so tragically. I, I think he could sense how sad, you know, and everything that I was. And he told me, um, everything's going to be okay. I'm here with you. And that's pretty much all he said. Uh, the one thing I did ask him when he was in full body apparition was, um, can you come back to me? And I don't know why I asked that. Uh. I'm not sure why those words came out of my mouth, but I said, can you come back to me? And he, you know, was looking at me very like sad. And he said, I can't this time. I can't come back this to you this time. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. Not this time. I can't come back to you this time. I later learned what he meant by that through reading things and seeing the psychic, of course. Um, I learned what he meant by that. So one thing I, w- I would like to tell you guys is, um, and this, this also kind of comes into the story which I also thought was kind of strange Tyler knew he was going to die mm-hmm. and I'll tell you why when I was at his funeral what the guy he worked with so his friend that he worked with and rode with every day for work told me at his funeral he said Deb I really need to tell you something that Tyler said to me about a week before he died and of course he had my full attention I'm like yeah He said, Tyler came to work one morning and he was really shaken up and like scared looking and concerned and nervous. And I asked him what was wrong. He said, I had this really strange dream last night. And he goes, yeah, tell me about it. And Tyler told his friend, well, in my dream, I was walking around along, walking down a road and both of my grandparents pulled up next to me in a blue Cadillac. Well, both of his grandparents were deceased, of course. And they rolled the window down and they said, hop in, son, you look really tired. And he, to which he replied, no, I'm good. I'm, I don't feel tired. I don't need a ride. And they said, no, it's, it's time for you to come with us. And then with that, he woke up in like a pool of sweat and it really frightened him. He said, So it shook him to his core, and he told his friend about that. Um, The other thing that's really amazing about that, which makes me believe somehow Tyler's soul knew he didn't have much more time left on Earth, was a conversation that him and I had 
about two weeks before he died, he brought me out onto the porch and he sat me down and he was really serious and he looked concerned and he said, can I talk to you about something? And I was like, yeah, sure. Anything. And he goes, if anything ever happens to me, can you promise me that you'll always let my family see our son? And I was really taken aback by that because I had always had a good relationship with his family and his and everything. And I was, and I said to him, where is this coming from? You know, why would you say that to me? And he goes, I don't know. I just have this feeling like something's going to happen. And he goes, but I don't want you to worry because through the military, I have uh, like death benefits. And so you and Blake would be taken care of if anything ever happened to me. And he said, I promise you that if anything happens to you, I will always make sure that your kids will see your family as well. And that was the whole conversation. Wow. And I was just, I didn't even know what to think about that. Like I, I thought it was strange, but it kind of ties into he must have known or his soul must have known somehow that he didn't have too much time left on earth. Like he was preparing for it or something. Right. So I was really shocked when his friend told me that at the funeral, of course, about that uh, dream he had. So there's that. Um, and actually, that's not uncommon. That's not the first time I've heard of that. Or, you know, as a nurse yourself, you would have come across it before as well. Absolutely, I have. Yep. But to experience it in your own life is a different thing. It is. Because at the time it's happening, you don't, you don't connect the dots and you don't put right. those things together until after the fact. So then hindsight's twenty twenty. Okay. So then after the tragedy happens, you're like, oh, that makes sense now. Yeah. But still, it's so... Uh, it's it's just it's just tragic it is so lots of other things started happening quite quickly after I saw him in full body apparition shortly after that our son Blake and his little sister Sophia were both getting ready for bed one night brushing their teeth like little kids do in in the bathroom they happened to be in my master bathroom while they were doing it and we always, it was an open door bathroom policy at our house, let me tell you, because kids just don't let you be in a bathroom with the door closed or they're, they're beating it down, you know. So open door policy at our house for bathroom doors. And they were in there brushing their teeth. And uh, little Sophia was, my daughter Sophia was only three years old at this time. So by this point, Blake was six and Sophia was three. And uh, all the kids knew, um, so they're brushing their little teeth and I'm in my bedroom waiting for them to be finished so I could read them a story before they went to bed. And Sophia come running into my bedroom, white as a sheet, eyes as big as a saucer. And she was shaking uncontrollably. And she was actually kind of stutter talking because she couldn't quite get her words out because she was so frightened. I said, oh my gosh, honey, what's wrong with you? And at first I thought maybe Blake had done something terrible to her, or did something bad to her in the bathroom. And I'm like, honey, what's wrong? Did Blake do something to you? And she goes, mom. And she's saying this in her tiny little three-year-old girl voice, shaking. Mom, I thought you told me that Tyler was dead. Those were the words that came out of her mouth. And I said, honey, he did, he did pass away. He's in heaven. And then when I said that to her, she looked even more shocked and she goes, 
then why did I just see him in the doorway and he waved at me, mom? And oh my gosh, I, my mouth dropped wide open. And of course, then I had all these questions for her. So I'm questioning, interrogating this little three-year-old. Tell me everything. I'm like, oh my gosh, what did you see? What did he say? What happened? So to the best of her three-year-old ability, she said Blake did not see him because he wasn't looking at the bathroom door like she was. Um, She said she saw something and was done brushing her teeth and Blake started brushing his teeth and she got down from her stool looked at the door and he was standing in the doorway of the bathroom. She told me what he was wearing. She said he had on a white t-shirt and blue, like dark colored blue jeans. Um, He didn't say anything to her, but he had a smile on his face looking at her. And I, I said, then what did he do? And she goes, after he noticed I was staring at him, he waved at me and then turned and walked into your bedroom, mom. She said she fully expected to walk into my bedroom and see him standing in there because she saw him walk in there. Um, So I thought that that was pretty um, profound. I mean, he was obviously showing himself to other people in our home. Mm. Okay, so the full body apparitions turned into little Blake, our son, having or he started uh, walking and talking in his sleep after this. Him and Sophia had bunk beds and they shared a bedroom that was close to me because they were little, you know, so the bigger kids slept downstairs, but Blake and Soph, because they were little, shared a bedroom, had bunk beds and uh, their room was closest to me upstairs. And Blake started doing these very odd things Um, But before I tell you what Blake started doing, I need to tell you about another visit we had from Blake's dad, Tyler. Um, One night, I had a dream where all of a sudden I was just trans, me and Blake were both transported to this beautiful world, which I now realize we were in heaven. Our souls actually went to heaven to have this conversation with Tyler. So I'm holding Blake's hand and we are suddenly in this church courtyard. I'm going to do my best to try and describe what it looked like to you. Imagine like a carnival setting um, where there's like different booths right next to one another. And those those lights that you see at nighttime parties that string across um buildings to illuminate your area that you're having a gathering at uh, night, Mm -hmm. like garden lights. Um, Those were strung across like this, this little dirt road, but we were in a church courtyard. So think of like a spooky Halloween scene, but it Mm -hmm. wasn't spooky. Like the church was like black because the moon was illuminating behind the church. So the church looked dark. And then there was like this leafless, dead looking tree. It just didn't have leaves on it. So it was like in the fall, maybe. Uh, And so that also was backlit with the moon. Um, So that was the light from the moon coming down. And then the only other light illuminating the scene were those like um, garden lights that were strung across. And Blake and I holding hands walked over by one of these vendors 
um, booth things. And we just stood there and I was crying in the dream and Blake was just holding my hand. And then we saw Tyler walking toward us and he looked me dead in my eyes, but didn't say anything to me, but I just felt all this love and, um, like wrap around us. We just, we just felt very loved. And at that point I was crying still and Tyler knelt down to be eye level with our son, Blake. And he said, he used to call our son boy. He, he said, boy, what did daddy tell you to do for your mama when she's crying? And Blake spoke and said, you told me to hug her. That was it. And then the dream was over. Um, and I woke up with tears still pouring down my face. It was absolutely real. Um, I still had the tears down my face when I woke up. Um, such a beautiful, gosh, it was like, I don't want people to think that because I described it as creepy. That's what it looked like off to our left. And it was, but it was beautiful. This church was, and there were no other people. It was only us three in this dream. Okay. So I had that dream. And then Blake started doing the most unusual things. He started getting up out of bed at night and coming to me whenever I would cry. And what's really strange about this is one night, uh, at this time I wasn't sleeping, my nerves were shot, I was so grief stricken, still bawling daily, I felt weak. Um, and I didn't want to cry in front of my children like that. Mm -hmm. So I retreated to my basement in the laundry room to get all my emotions out so my children weren't seeing that during the day, okay? So it's three o'clock in the morning during a weekday. My kids are in bed. They have school the next morning, and there are zero lights on in the entire house. And because we lived in the country, it was dark. Mm -hmm. There was nothing illuminating the inside of my house. The only light that was on in my entire house was the laundry room that I was standing in in the basement. So uh, picture this scene. I'm down there at three o'clock in the morning um, with the dog at my feet and I'm bawling my eyes out, like talking to myself, uh, folding laundry, folding tiny children's underpants and mating socks and things like this at three in the morning. And then I heard a noise and I about jumped a mile high I turned around and Blake was standing right behind me. He had walked through the entire house in pure darkness without turning on a single light. And what's strange about that is the kid was deathly afraid of the dark. So mm -hmm. for him to walk from the upstairs and make it all the way down to the lower level of the house um, is shocking that he would, that he would not turn on a light. So when I turned around and saw him, I mean, I was just absolutely startled because he literally just walked out of the darkness and came in there um, I was like, oh my goodness, baby, what are you doing down here? I'm like, what woke you up, honey? And what he said to me shook me to my core. With his little baby voice, he said to me, when I asked him, honey, what are you doing out of bed? What are you doing down here? He looked me dead in my face and said, my daddy woke me up and told me to come down here and hug you because you were crying. <laughs> That's what he said oh, to me. Wow. His daddy woke him up mm -hmm. and told him to come find me because I was crying. Oh, that's so, so beautiful. And 
I mean, I just, I, and that made me cry more, of course. And um, I got him back up into bed and made sure he was okay. And then he fell right back to sleep. So the next morning when it's time for breakfast and I'm getting the kids ready for school, I said to Blake, I'm like, honey, do you feel tired because you were up last night and you come and talk to mama? I'm like, how, how are you feeling? Are you okay? He looked at me and gave me the strangest look. And he's like, what are you talking about, mom? I'm like, last night when you come down in the laundry room? No, I didn't do that. He had no, he had no memory of doing that whatsoever. And I, so then I just stopped talking because he didn't even realize that he, he had done that. The dream night that Blake and I were both in and his father spoke to him in that church courtyard, the, the next morning after I had that dream during breakfast, Blake said to me, I had a really strange dream last night, mom. Um, my dad was in it and he told me to hug you when you're crying. So Blake said to me, he had the exact same dream that I had. And that's when I knew that him and I souls were together and we had astral traveled to heaven to be with Tyler. I, that's when I knew uh, without a doubt that we were both there and it was very much real. Um, so after that first incident of Blake sleepwalking, he, that, that happened quite often after that he, he would do it like every other day or so. And, you know, I'm not ashamed to say that I cried a lot because people grieve differently, yes. but um, he did it every time. I mean, I was, I was mm -hmm. shocked. I didn't think this kid was getting enough sleep how much he would get up and come and find me. So Blake had also shared with me, he, he said to me just in passing one day, just nonchalantly, he said, yeah, my dad talks to me at night. And then he just like walked in the other room. Wow. I'm like, wait a minute. I got more questions. Come back here. <laughs> you know, he just nonchalantly said it in passing. Like, yeah, my dad comes and talks to me at night. And I'm like, Whoa, wait, what? Um, so I had asked him to elaborate on that. And he told me that his dad just would like rub his head and touch his back and tell him he was all right. So he, he didn't get into too much detail. He would just always repeat that his dad would say, I love you. You're all right. And he would like rub his, caress his face and rub his back, which I thought was very, very sweet. Um, and I believed my son when he told very me that. Sweet. I didn't think he would make that up or lie about it. No, why would he? Exactly. Mm. So then now it's about Christmas time. So maybe the beginning of December. Here's another incident where uh, it was just unmistakable that I absolutely knew it was Tyler that was doing this. Um, all the kids were in bed. I had last minute Christmas gift wrapping to do, as I'm sure all parents can relate with. So again, I was up at like two, three o'clock in the morning while all the kids were sleeping, trying to wrap <clears throat> last minute presents because Christmas was coming like very soon. And some of the gifts were quite large and I set them on a giant farmhouse table. I mean, I had a big family and so my dining room table would fit 10 people around it. It had 10 mm -hmm. chairs. It was a giant table. So I sat this giant load of Christmas presents with the wrapping paper and everything in the middle of my table, 
nothing was off kilt, nothing. It was all stacked on top of each other. Nice to where nothing would just naturally fall. So I'm like, Oh shoot, I need to go grab the tape and get the room real quick. So I know more and set the stuff down on my dining room table. I go back into the kitchen to grab the tape to wrap the stuff with. And I hear this thunderous crash on the floor. It made the dog jump a mile high. I jumped. I thought, Oh, good, good grief. What is this noise? I, I thought something had fallen over. I'm like, what the heck? I mean, it was such a loud crash. So I went running back into the dining room. My dining room table is now empty. There's nothing on the top of my dining room table at all. I look over into my living room and all the gifts are in a complete separate room all over the floor. All Mm. over the floor. I, I, I literally stood there for like 10 minutes with my mouth agape, looking back at the table, looking at the things on the floor, back at the table, wondering how that is physically possible to have picked up every single thing that was on that table and throw it into another room. I mean, I was in shock. I thought, what in the heck? Mm. Nothing broken, thank goodness, but um, <clears throat> it scared the living daylights out of me. That would um, be pretty scary, actually. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I mean, so it's kind of amazing that spirit can physically manipulate things like that mm. and move things around like it showed the true power of what they can actually do mm-hmm. I've had people say to me well I don't think that that was your deceased husband because why would he throw things around and I keep having to defend myself because no that is not a different spirit no it is not demonic I knew it was my deceased husband he mm. wanted me to know that I was there with him And maybe that was the only way at the time he could tell me, okay, I'm here with you. So I'm just going to knock this stuff off on the floor. You know what I mean? Like, um, it really bothers me. Yes. He didn't do it in a malicious way. Nothing was broken. Um, it did make a loud noise that scared the heck out of me. Um, but it, but you know how you get the feeling if something's bad or if Mm. something's good. I never got a bad feeling mm-hmm. when, when things were being moved around my house, I never had a sense of uh, fear. It always felt like it was a happy thing. It right. wasn't never a scary thing. Yeah. I never felt like impending doom from it or that it was bad or evil in any way. And so it upsets me that people say, well, I don't think that it was your husband. I think it was demonic. Mm. No, regular spirits that are not demonic can move things around your house. Mm. Well, I, I personally myself don't believe in demons. I've been a medium, clairvoyant my entire life, and I've never, ever come across any such them? thing. No. I've gotcha. seen angry earth spirit, and they can be very, very angry. But, you know, and, and some, if they haven't passed over, if they were nasty in life, they'll still be nasty in death. Their basic character doesn't change. But I think people tend to use the term demonic as a catch-all thing, and it's a very religious-based, fear-based thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, people work within their, their, their knowing, you know, so if that's what they know yeah. and that's what they believe, that's the term that they'll use. 
Well, to me, I knew it wasn't demonic or something bad. I knew yeah. immediately that it was Tyler, yeah. my beloved first husband, Tyler, that was trying to make me know that he was there with me at that time. So now I'd like to share with you um, one of the most touching things during this whole year and a half that his spirit was in our farmhouse that happened to me. Um, and I will never forget it for as long as I live because it was so warm and touching and loving. Um, and it brings me great um, comfort knowing that he did this for me. Okay, so I have to tell you guys that at this point, I was completely broken down. Mm -hmm. um, I had to stop working as a nurse because I was physically um, ill. I had something wrong with me um, that the doctors couldn't figure out um, what was wrong with me caused me to have a great amount of pain. Plus I was grieving. Plus yeah. I had zero coping mechanisms. Yeah. Plus um, I was crying so much and I was overall in really poor health. So by the, by this time it's after Christmas, we're into the next year, 2005. And I moved just for my own comfort. I moved all of my children out of their rooms and I had a, I had a large bedroom. I moved my two younger children's bunk beds into my room. And then I brought two other beds for my two oldest children in my room. So ultimately at this point by January or February of 2005, I was really ill and crying a lot and sleeping a lot and barely functioning as a human being, um, doing my best to take care of my children and, try and keep my house functioning um, with my entire world falling apart around me. So all of my children essentially moved into my bedroom with me. So we all slept in the same room together and that comforted me. It made me feel safe and it's what I needed at the time. So one particular night, and I don't know why we had this um, sleeping arrangement, but my two oldest children were on the floor instead of in beds and both of my younger children Blake and Sophia were on the top bunk of the kids' bunk bed set and for whatever reason that escapes me to this day I was sleeping on the bottom bunk of this bunk bed that belonged to my children instead of my own big giant king-size bed maybe to be closer to them or maybe that's just where I'd fallen asleep I'm not sure but on this particular night the TV is still on because we had all just fallen asleep with the TV in my bedroom still on. So the only light in the room was the TV illuminating the rest of the room. Um, I was crying uncontrollably. I mean, I just had tears just pouring down my face because I was in a great amount of pain and um, just, just grieving so badly. Um, nobody was really helping me deal with my grief. Mm. Um, I didn't have many friends or family that checked up on me, things like that. So I felt pretty isolated. Yeah. So I was crying because my children were sleeping. And all of a sudden, I felt something touch my face, like push down on my face. And at first, I thought my hair was touching my face or something. So imagine me laying flat on my back in a bed. And I start touching my forehead like, what is that? you know, is my hair in my face? Because I felt something um, wipe the tears off of my cheeks. 
and it felt warm. It wasn't cold. It felt warm. And then it happened again. So I just kind of like froze and didn't move because I didn't comprehend what was happening. And then all of a sudden I felt this something lay on top of me, like completely lay on top of me and it felt heavy and it pushed me down on the bed. Um, It felt comforting and warm. So there's this thing laying on top of me and I could feel it like moving around and I didn't say anything and I'm looking and I don't see anything, but I absolutely feel it on top of me. And I immediately knew that it was my husband and he kissed me right on my lips. He kissed me a couple of times right on my lips. And I was just dumbfounded because I had no idea that spirit could even do that. And I know now why he did it because he tried to comfort me. Mm -hmm. Um, I was so distraught with emotion and could not stop my uncontrollable crying. Um, I know that's why he did it. I know that's why he came to me and laid on me, not in like a sexual way. Mm. It would be, Hey, I'm here. Mm. Me touching you. And he just kept like caressing my face and I stopped crying and I calmed down. Um, at some point I ended up like rolling over on my side and he absolutely stayed right behind me with his arms wrapped around my front. So I was the little spoon, you know what I mean? Um, he was cradling me in his arms and I actually fell asleep. And that was the first time in many, many months that I actually slept really good and sound. Uh It was the best night of sleep I had had in a very, very long time. So right after that happened, I felt energized the next day too, actually. And I didn't have pain when I woke up the next day also, which I found very profound about that experience. A couple of days after that, again, it was in the middle of the night and all of us are in my master bedroom. All the children are sleeping and my oldest daughter, and and at this point, I think she was 12 my oldest daughter named Amanda was about 12 years old at this time. She was laying at the foot of my bed. Something woke me up. I'm pretty sure his spirit said, Hey, wake up, you know, telepathically he's speaking to me. Hey, I'm here. Wake up. So something woke me up in the middle of the night. Imagine my shock to look over and my bedroom was completely dark. My TV was not on it this this night. So my room is being illuminated by this green glowing orb that was the size of a beach ball. And it was floating over the top of my dresser. So it's, it's illuminating light throughout my entire bedroom. And I'm just staring at it like, oh my God, I can't believe what my eyeballs are looking at. And it didn't manifest into anything else. It just kind of hovered there above my dresser. And I didn't know what to think. So my first instinct was to immediately wake my daughter up because she was the closest person to me. I must have scared the heck out of my child because I literally grabbed her head out of a dead sleep and turned her head in the direction of where the orb was floating above my um, 
dresser and I started screaming, Amanda, look, Amanda, look, do you see that? Do you see that? And she was kind of like fighting me because I woke her up in such an, uh, such an abrupt way. And she's going, mom, what's going on? What's happening? And I have her head turned right to the orb floating above my um, dresser. And it was, it was like a light colored green. It was more white on the inside and on the outside of it was green Mm-hmm. and it illuminated my entire bedroom and it just kind of floated there and it was the size of a beach ball. I've never seen anything like it since that night. I've never seen anything like that ever in my life or since that night. And I knew it was him. Mm-hmm. I knew it was him because it felt very loving and comforting. And my daughter, Amanda said, yes, I see it. Yes, I see it. So she saw it too, which also brings validation that I wasn't nuts and hallucinating things in the middle of the night. You know what I mean? Yeah. So as soon as she saw it, she jumped up into my bed and was very frightened. And as she jumped up into my bed, it just kind of like dissipated to where the ball started shrinking down and then out of sight. So that's how it like left. Was it just kind of like, uh, this, the ball of light just got smaller and smaller and smaller until it was no longer there. And then that feeling of like love and comfort kind of left when the orb left with it. Right. Um, in I think 2006, so now it's another year later, um, we ended up moving out of that farmhouse. But before we moved out, <clears throat> his spirit was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, to this day, I'm not sure why the activity stopped because I never had like a discussion with Tyler. He never appeared to me and said, Hey, I think you guys are okay now, or mm-hmm. you know, that never happened. Um, he was just there one day and then nothing. So the green orb that you saw, his spirit energy, that was the last manifestation of his energy that you ever felt or ever saw yes yep Mm. so that was basically him saying goodbye see um because i didn't know then as much information as what i currently know now right because i've obviously read about it and uh did my homework and read about all this stuff but then i didn't know about it so it haunted me for a long time as to why he left Mm. it it Mm. saddened me even more like it comforted me to know that he was there and then for him to all of a sudden be gone and then me not understanding why he Uh. then left um, and then it, it also made me sad and made me worry because I thought, oh my gosh, is, was he earthbound because he died so tragically and didn't realize that he was dead? So I had those thoughts going through my head and I felt horrified about it. I'm like, why didn't he cross over? Was he not able to cross over? Yeah. All these questions nobody could answer for me. And I worried for his soul. I thought, mm. oh my gosh, it's trapped here. Mm. Is he here? because he wants to be so that haunted me for a long time I wasn't sure why he hadn't crossed right over um I just couldn't wrap my mind around it um wondering why he was earthbound like that and in haunting our house essentially Mm -hmm. to comfort me and I 
I don't, I don't know. So I was sad when he left. So while we're still in the farmhouse, we were there for probably another year after the hauntings completely stopped. So from all that activity that I just described to you to absolutely nothing, no more clicks or sounds. We didn't see him anymore. Things immediately stopped moving or being misplaced in the house. All of it stopped. None of that stuff happened anymore. And uh, we moved out of that farmhouse about a a year later. I want to skip forward to 2016 because between 2006 when we moved out of that farmhouse to 2016, I didn't have any paranormal experiences happen. And I was quite upset about it because I honestly wanted them. Like Mm -hmm. I wanted the validation of him knowing that he was around us and I didn't get it. So I felt kind of angry, displaced, upset, um, not knowing what had happened to his soul, why he wasn't around anymore. Had, mm-hmm. I had lots of questions like, how does all this work when you're a soul? Things like that. And uh, I still didn't know the answer to the question, why he said to me, I can't come back to you this time. Mm-hmm. Didn't know what that meant. And that haunted me because I didn't understand what it, why he said that to me. So skip forward to 2016 and in between this time oh I was reading everything I could get my hands on yeah so because I had so many questions myself I had always been curious about seeing a psychic I never sought one out Mm -hmm. um I always thought oh you know they're always phony I just Mm -hmm. didn't really a lot of them are scam artists and just want your money a friend of mine said hey I'm going to be going to this psychic group reading later. Are you interested in going with me? And I thought, oh, wow. Okay. And I was skeptical. (laughs) I was like, sure, I'll give it a shot. Um, So I I rode with my friend to this psychic group meeting in 2016. And I wanted to test this lady, you know, I was being a bit of a, I was being a bit of a skeptical smart ass. And I wanted to actually debunk this person as being like a fraudster, a scammer or something. So prior to me going to this group reading with this psychic whom I'd never met before, um, I started talking out loud in my house to Tyler. And I said to him, Tyler, please, if this lady is the real deal, please come through to her and I want you to specifically tell her about my ring. Mm-hmm. When I, the first year him and I were together for Valentine's day, he took me to a store, a jewelry store, and he bought me the most beautiful heart ring with my birthstone in it. And I've never taken it off since the day he bought it for me. I've never taken it off. It never comes off my finger. Um, So I told him, if it's really you, please tell this psychic about this ring and then I'll know it's you for sure. So when I was on my way to this reading, I slipped that ring off my finger and stuck it in my pocket. And I also took the photograph I have of him out of my wallet that I carry around with me, took his photograph out of my wallet and stuck it in my pocket as well. So my ring is bare or my fingers bare and I had it in my pocket. I walked into this lady's house and this very strange looking girl walked up to me. She was in her mid twenties, had pink 
hair, a piercing in her eyebrow, I believe, and maybe one in her lip, tattoos on her arms and stuff. And she shook my hand and didn't ask what my name was. She's like, hi, welcome. Nice to meet you. Hi, welcome. And she was greeting every person that came into the house that way. I had no idea when I shook her hand that she was the psychic, okay? (laughs) I had thought to myself, okay, wow, she's eccentric. She's got some pretty uh, wild colored hair. And and then I found my way over to a seat and it, it begun. So I'm sitting there. There was maybe six of us in the room that paid to be in this group reading. And she started talking and the first spirit that came through to her was for another person. And so we all just sat there in sheer wonderment about what she was possibly going to say about this person's loved one. And it was amazing. Uh, The person that came through for the other person in the reading was just spot on. And the person was crying their eyes out and her reading for that person lasted maybe 20 minutes. And we were just all silent, just listening to everything that this woman was saying Before she started the session, she kind of explained to all of us um, a brief history about herself. And then she kind of explained to us how her abilities work and how spirit comes through to her. So I was glad that she explained it to us. I mean, she was very knowledgeable. And so I'm sitting there not expecting to be called on whatsoever because, mind you, I'm being skeptical. And all of a sudden she looks around the room and she said, is there a Deb here? She's looking around and she goes, which one of you is Deb? And I kind of looked and was like, oh, she's talking about me. Mind you, none of us told her our names. None of us told told her our names. She actually told us not to tell her our names. So I was shocked that she said, is there a Deb here? And I was like, oh, that's me. And she said right away, she said, um, I have a very handsome male coming through for you. And his present is strong. Like she said, he was trying to interrupt her when she was giving the reading to the other person. Like he was trying to push the other spirit out of the way because he had so much to say to me. And I was very flattered by that. So she began talking to me and um, she said, oh, wow. Like she described what he looked like. And sure enough, she told me what he was wearing the last time I ever saw him. Okay. So that brought validation. And I'm just listening to her, nodding my head, going, "Mm mm-hmm, okay, mm mm-hmm, as she spoke. So I wasn't trying to feed her any information that she could possibly use. And she started saying things like, "Um, okay, this is really strange because he's showing me like a baby. He's like rocking this baby in his arms, telling me that this is your baby and it's a boy. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I was like, whoa, yeah. I said, yes, I know what you're talking about. And she said, well, he wants you to know that he knows all about your son that you have and that he actually met his soul before he came to you. And I was blown away that she said that, that Tyler in heaven met (coughs) my son's soul before he came to me. So she said that and I was like, okay, she's on a roll. I'm, I'm thinking, okay, she probably knows what she's talking about. But I, mind you, again, I'm thinking, 
talk about the ring, talk about the ring. So the next thing she says to me is, um, okay, this is strange. I don't know what he's trying to say to me, but he's showing me a ring floating in the ocean. She goes, it's just, she didn't say floating in the ocean. She said, usually when spirits show me items, they like have it in their hands, but he's showing me a ring, but it's like floating in midair. And I don't know what to take of that. She goes, do you know what I'm talking about? And oh my gosh. Okay. So at this point I busted down and started bawling uncontrollably. So not only did he tell her about the ring I'm wearing, the one I wanted him to talk about and had shoved in my pocket, he also told her about my wedding ring that got lost in the ocean in Maui, Hawaii, the day after we got married. Wow. That's what showing her my wedding ring floating in the dang ocean. I lost it a day after we got married. Like that's bad luck to lose your wedding ring. You know, the day after you get married, um, we had went swimming in the ocean and went in with the ring came out and it was off my finger gone. Could never find it. He was showing her the ring and I'm like, it makes perfect sense to me that it's like floating in midair because it's literally in the ocean somewhere. So that shocked me. And I started crying at that point. She, she said to me, he keeps wanting me to tell you how sorry he is that he left you. How sorry he is. He didn't mean to leave you or Blake. He didn't mean to leave you. He, and that's exactly what he said to me when I saw him in full body apparition. And then she said to me, and this is what answered my question that I had when he said to me, I can't come back to you this time. She said to me, he's saying to me that you asked if he could come back to you and he can't. He wants me to tell you that he has things to do in heaven and he cannot return back to earth in this lifetime. And I was, I mean, you could have knocked me over with a feather at that point. And I'm grabbing the tissues out of the box, wiping my tears and snot coming out of my nose because I was crying so hard. I'm thinking to myself, how could this girl possibly know these things? Then she said to me, he wants me to tell you that he not only is always with you, but he's always with your children as well. My two older children do not belong to Tyler. Um, they belong to a different man. He told this psychic, he even watches your daughter in Germany. Whoa, how could this woman know my oldest daughter lives in Germany? Okay, so at that point, I knew this girl was the absolute real deal. Hmm. She said to me, okay, he's talking. He's got so much to say. Hold on, I'm listening to what he's saying. And then she looked at me and she like popped up and she like, had this shocked look on her face and she's like, Oh my gosh, he just told me that you saw him. He's spoken to you. She goes, Oh my gosh, you're, you're a sensitive, aren't you? She goes, you're an empath. He's telling me that you've actually seen him and he has spoken to you. I'm like, Whoa, she blew my mind. Oh, right out of the water. I'm like, yes, yes, I have absolutely seen him. And, and she, she said, He's telling me to tell you, and this is important, 
Marianne, this, this is important. She said, he wants me to tell you the reason why he was in your house is because he wanted you to know without a doubt that your soul lives on past death and that you two would be together again in heaven. <laughs> and that's all I needed to hear. Like it gave complete and full validation about any fear I had of God being real or heaven being real or anything like that. She said his sole purpose of why he hung around earth and was with Blake and I for a year and a half was because he wanted me to know without a shadow of a doubt that your soul does not die. Mm. It lives on. It just goes to a different plane. And, um, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I try to educate people about that and tell people, even atheists. So she wasn't done with me. <laughs> she, he had lots to say to her, um, about me. Um, she told me a few things that he was with me on, like a few special occasions that she said he was with us on, which were true, like birthday parties, you know, things like this vacation. Right. He was there with us. And um, then she said to me, oh, gosh, he's really worried about you because you're, oh, you're not sleeping, are you? You're in a lot of pain. You don't sleep very well, do you? He's telling me that you are up all night long and that you hurt and you're, you don't sleep. And I was like, yep. And then this is profound. The very next thing that she said to me was, oh, he's telling me, Tyler is telling me that when you're awake in the middle of the night, you're in your living room on the couch watching Criminal Minds at three o'clock in the morning. and he wants me to tell you that when you're doing that, he's with you, but he's not watching the TV. He's looking at you. Um. Now, Marianne, let me tell you what's profound about that and amazing about that is that show, Criminal Minds, was not in existence when Tyler was on Earth. Mm. Tyler died in 2004, and that show never became a show until like two years later, like in 2006, that was a show. So yeah. for him to tell her, this is the exact show that you're watching at three o'clock in the morning while you're suffering from painful insomnia, he's there with you. And let me tell you, I've never doubted this girl's abilities after, after that. There's no way that anybody would know that about me. Mm. I lived alone. Who would know that I, you know, was awake at three o'clock in the morning, binge watching Criminal Minds on TV, um, you know, and he came through and told her that. I, I really want to thank you so much for sharing your really raw and personal story with my listeners and myself. And it certainly moved me to tears. And I know I, 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 saw you, I saw you crying. I choked up a, a few times myself in there. Yeah, and, uh, um, and I felt like at this time in, in 
this time in our world that people more than ever um, with all the fear and with all the pain that's surrounding this pandemic that we're dealing with, that it's important for people to understand those who have lost loved ones in this pandemic and those who may lose loved ones, that life continues on, that this is not the end and that our loved ones are around us and they try so hard to let us know that they're okay and that the end of this physical body isn't the end of our existence. So I'm really incredibly great, grateful to you for sharing your pain and your rawness and your experiences with my listeners so that they can hear and, and maybe take some comfort from that in these trying times. That's so what I'm hoping too. I hope that some of your listeners or all of your listeners take away something from it and maybe my story matches theirs or they've had similar experiences and this somehow validates for them that in fact it is real and I hope that it brings them comfort just like you. I, that's why I did this um, because I would like to help people with their grief and sadness and the questions that they have about death and what happens to our loved ones after we die. So I hope that um, they take away what you and I both know to be true, that yes. our spirit does not die, like you said, that we do live on and that they are always with us. Absolutely. Dibs, thank you so much. I'm really grateful and I appreciate your time today. I'm very grateful to my guest today, Deb, for firstly responding to my reaching out to her and secondly for agreeing to share such personal pain but such tender and loving reassurances from Tyler that he continues to exist and that his love for her and all of his loved ones continues on despite no longer being in a physical body. This is the message that we both wanted you all who are currently grieving for lost ones from whatever reason and for those of you who may lose loved ones in the coming times that the end of the physical body is not the end of our existence, that life definitely continues on albeit in a different form and that the love that these ones we have lost have for us does not simply stop once they leave the physical plane of existence it continues on and our loved ones are only ever a thought away we both hope that this episode will bring you some comfort and reassurance in these uncertain times we are all living through bumper music today is called Private Reflection by Kevin MacLeod, licensed under Creative Commons. For more information, check out this episode's page on the podcast website at www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. 
If you have any suggestions for topics you might like me to cover in upcoming episodes, then please don't hesitate to contact me. Or if any of you have any questions, suggestions or any comments that you'd like to make or experiences that you might like to share with myself or my audience, then just email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name, and our Twitter feed, at Shadowlands10. Like and follow for hints on our upcoming episodes. And speaking of upcoming episodes, our next episode will be on black-eyed children, a very interesting subject. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a positive rating and don't be shy to leave a written review on your chosen podcasting platform or on the podcast Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands. Who knows? You may hear your review read out at the end of one of these podcasts. And of course, so you don't miss out on any episode, make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms and available from iHeartRadio as well. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website, so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more, the merrier. Thank you so much for listening today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. We'll see you in two weeks' time. Thanks for listening. 